Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad tonight that you chose tonight to spend the night with me. It's going to be an amazing show for you. My dear sister Pam is here, and uh, she has an amazing story about life uh, on the underside, struggling uh, to work her way through homelessness and a few mistakes to the degree and to the point where she actually succeeded in one. She is a successful businesswoman. She has created the kind of life that a lot of people would admire and the kind of life she deserves. But there's still something from her past, feelings and insecurities and fears from her past that stalk her. They chase her. The fear of failure, the fear that I might fall back into what I used to do and what I used to have to struggle to survive through. That's her journey. That's her story. I'm hoping tonight to help her understand that she is actually on the other side. And that because she is, she can take a deep breath. We'll see what happens. But as you watch her, I hope you watch for a part of your life where you're not altogether secure, not altogether confident that you've actually won. You've actually made it. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. You guys sent me some great videos. We'll do that later. But we always start with the headlines because there's some interesting things going on in the world. And today is no different. Play the bumper, highly. <laughs> So um, let's talk about this shooting in Texas, okay? I'm sure you've heard on social media, maybe even saw on the news about the shooting at the kids' football game in Texas. Um, I'm going to play a, a clip of this, but I, I, viewer discretion advised because this might be upsetting to some people. But let's, let's take a look at this, and we'll talk about it on the other side. <laughs> Yes. So that took place at a kid's football game. Yakub Talib, who is himself a brother of a famous NFL football star and champion, pulled out a gun and shot um, coach Michael Hickman after the opposing team's coach, coaching staff got into a disagreement with him over officiating at a game. And so because this happened, these two sides started fighting. And as you just saw in the video, Mr. Yakub Talib pulled out a gun and started shooting. And ultimately, he killed Mr. Michael Hickman, who was also a father and, uh, and a grandfather, to be exact. Um, so Mr. Talib, let's just get this straight. Let's just level set. Killed another man because of officiating at a kid's football game. That actually happened. And you just saw some of the clip that someone took who happened to be there when it all transpired and took place. So here's my question. Is this where we are? I mean, is this where we are? We, we love to talk about the culture, the culture, the culture, the culture. And I'm all for the culture, the culture, the culture. But is this where we are? I mean, have we gotten to the place where we can't tell the difference between honest disagreement and death? Over a football game? Over a kid's football game, somebody pulled out a gun and decided to kill another man, shooting into a crowd or directly firing at the man. I don't know. I wasn't there. But in either event, in either case, rather, a gun was pulled out over a kid's football game. Is it really the case that we have no regard for human life, such as that someone would be willing to take this man away from his children, away from his wife, away from his family, over a football game that pretty much was populated by kids. Here's my point. We can't run around talking about, you know, black. We can't, we can't run around telling white people that black lives matter if black lives don't matter to us. They've got to matter to us first. We've got to love black people enough not to be so prone to impulsively kill black people. We've got to love ourselves to the degree where we understand that death at the hands of each other is not an option. 
especially when it comes to something that's insignificant and as trivial and trite and banal and superficial and silly as a kid's football game. This man should not be dead. And quite honestly, Mr. Talib should not be on his way to jail, having recently turned himself in over the incident. Two families are now going to be devastated because we couldn't control ourselves. And for everybody watching and everybody who should be watching right now, let me just say this quite simply. You are not a man if you can kill somebody. Killing somebody does not make you a man. It's going to just make you an inmate, ultimately, but it doesn't make you a man. What makes you a man is the ability to control yourself. If you can't govern your own anger and master your own impulses, you will never be a man. No matter how many women you sleep with, no matter how much money you have, how many cars you drive, the size of your house, the square footage of your bedroom, none of that will make you ultimately an adult or a man or a woman for that matter or a human being if you can't control yourself. So now we have to send our condolences to the family of Mr. Michael Hickman and pray for his children and his grandchildren that they'll be able to go on without him. And we never should have had to pray those prayers. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Academy Awards. <laughs> the Academy Awards. So check this out. The Academy Awards has officially apologized to Sachin Littlefeather, who was the woman who went on stage to decline the Oscar that Marlon Brando won in uh, 1973. So apparently when Miss Littlefeather got on the stage and she declined the award, she was greeted by a mixture of boos and cheers while defending the rights of Native Americans on national TV. So check it out. She was on stage. You see her there. And she went into a speech defending the rights that Native Americans were uh, needing to have and should have. And rich white people in the crowd who came to congratulate other rich white people, started booing her. Because, of course, they didn't come for civil rights. They came to congratulate each other. And they didn't want to hear none of that. And so they booed her. Okay? Now, before we go any further, let me just quickly say, this is why I don't watch award shows. If you're a friend of mine, and I got a few friends, I got, I got one friend in particular who's always, Jackie, who's always asking me, did you see this award? I don't watch award shows. And this is why I don't, I don't want to see rich people congratulating other rich people and, and I'm just sitting there watching. Matter of fact, if I was getting an award, I still wouldn't watch. No, I don't want to see that. I got better things to do with my time than to watch, you know, rich folks just say, oh, you're so wonderful to other rich folks. But let's get back to Miss Littlefeather. Because now, 50 years later, the Academy has decided that it needed to apologize to Miss Littlefeather. And it just goes to show you that sometimes you can be ahead of your time. That sometimes, you know, sometimes you can say something in one moment of your life that doesn't make sense where you're standing. But if you had said it much, 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 much later on, it would make perfect sense in the presence of people who get what you're talking about. If Miss Littlefeather had made the same speech in 2022 that she made in 1973, she would get a standing ovation and people would, she would be all over social media, people would be celebrating her. And it just goes to show you that sometimes it's not the message, but the moment that's incongruent. You can have the right message, but at the wrong moment in the presence of the wrong people, they won't be able to hear it because they have not been conditioned enough, trained enough, open enough, huh? bruised and battered, enlightened enough to receive what you're trying to give. And I'm really not just talking about Miss, 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 Miss Lightfeather. I'm really talking about you because there's some things you've been wanting to say to people in your life. And there's some things you've been wanting to do in your life and people don't understand it or they can't hear it. And I need you to stop doubting if whether or not what you have to say is the right thing to say or the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not the seed, it's the soil. Sometimes the seed is fine. It's the soil that's the problem. It's who you're trying to give it to that you need to change and reconsider. But let me tell you something, for everybody out there who's trying to do something with your life and people don't understand and they keep doubting you and they keep criticizing you. And in the case of Ms. Ms. Light, Ms. Lightfeather, they keep booing you, Miss Littlefeather rather, they keep booing you. Let me give you some good advice. One day they will applaud you. <laughs> One day they will give you a standing ovation. One day they will call you a genius and tell you how far ahead of your time you are. And one day, just like in the case of Miss Littlefeather, a lot of people are going to have to apologize to you and tell you that they're sorry because you saw 
what they couldn't see. Let's do another one before I bring up my sister Pam. Let's talk about Tom Holland. You guys know Tom Holland played Spider-Man? Huh? Was the Amazing Spider-Man, the Incredible Spider-Man, Spider-Man? I like the Spider-Man movies. So anyway, Tom Holland announced in a video that he was stepping away from social media to focus on his mental health. There's the video there. And uh, I like Tom Holland. I think he's pretty cool. He's very fit, by the way. Okay? Tom Holland is fit. If I look like that, let's just say I'd have a different life. But anyway, I like Tom Holland. I think he's great. But I do have some advice for Tom Holland. When you want to separate from social media to get your mental health together, you shouldn't make a video. Just step away from social media. <laughs> Son, you don't need to announce it, okay? That's part of the problem. <laughs> and you don't need to give people an explanation. Just do what you need to do to take care of you. Because now, people have more to comment about. Your video that you're leaving social media, which is now viral on social media. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and you got to give people a bunch of explanations or need a lot of runway to do it. But Tom Holland said in the video, he spirals when he reads things about himself online. So he needs to take a break from social media. Uh, he finds Instagram and Twitter to be overstimulating and overwhelming. And, and let me just say this. If you find yourself on social media spiraling because of what's going on in your social media feed or your account, I would fully invite you to do what Tom Holland has done, and that is step away from social media for a while. Don't let Instagram and Twitter and TikTok drive you into madness or sadness or despair, right? Don't, 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 let, don't let those platforms do that to you. And again, don't let those platforms do that to you. And you can fix it by not being on those platforms as much. I find, I find, um, I find that there's nothing, that the only thing that I get out of social media is just new levels of madness. It's just madness. And, and even the good stuff ultimately descends into madness before it's all over. And so I think it's very helpful for people to step away for a while and just kind of say, you know what, I'm good. I don't need all this. I think um, it's absolutely the case that none of us want to be criticized. None of us want to be criticized. We don't want to pick up our phones and read criticisms of ourselves over and over and over and over again. OK, and that's why I invite people don't read the comments. Stop reading the comments. When you post something on social media, why do you need to go back and see what people said about what you post? I don't understand that. Can I just be honest with you? I don't read comments. You say whatever you want to say about me on social media. I'll never know. <laughs> Somebody tells me, you know, I don't know because I don't read the comments. And I have friends who comment, you know, who love me to death and say great things. I don't I don't know because I don't look in my social media feed for validation. I have people in my actual real life who give me that. And people who don't know me can't validate me. No more than people who don't know me can't ultimately condemn me. You know why? Because in both cases, wait for it, they don't know me. <laughs> and when you don't know me, how much can you really say that's accurate? You can only comment on what you've seen. And what you've seen is the tip of the iceberg. You don't know what's going on underneath the surface where it really counts, where the deep things are actually transpiring. So listen, beloved, let me give you some advice. If you need validation, then surround yourself with people who can give it to you in your actual life. All right. Who know you, whose word you can trust, whose criticisms you can receive because you know that it comes from a good place. We've been using social media to make us feel good. All that dopamine rush to our brains to make us feel good. But Tom Holland shows us that, you know, you know, uh, this goes with that. What did Aristotle call that? A categorical syllogism. This goes with that. For all the affirmation you get on social media, you get a lot of criticism too. And if you're going to find your pride there, you're also going to find some of your hurt there too. So listen, beloved, how about we all take a little time and put our phones down and pick up an actual relationship with people who are actually living, okay? And that we can touch and know. Because there's some things, contrary to what we believe, a phone cannot do. Tell that to Steve Jobs. Come on, Dr. Sean. I need like a crowd in here. <laughs> All right, let me do my last one. Uh, so let's talk about Salman Rushdie. The author Salman Rushdie is in critical condition after being stabbed at an upstate New York event over the weekend. I think the event was at a, um, the, the group called Chautauqua. And Rushdie remains in critical condition, but he is thankfully improving, and we're glad about that.
Apparently, a 24-year-old man rushed the stage when, 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 when Salman Rushdie was speaking. And uh, we see the video there. And uh, he proceeded to stab um, Salman Rushdie uh, essentially all over his body, particularly in his neck. And the, sus- the suspect was apprehended at the scene and is now being charged with second-degree attempted murder and assault. Now, here's where we pick up the story, okay? Because the guy who was caught in the act, John, play that video again. The guy who was caught in the act of stabbing Salman Rushdie, this is right after he stabbed him, and, you know, the crowd is going crazy, right? They had underneath that pile is the guy who stabbed him. So we have it on video that he's done this, okay? That guy went into court and pled not guilty. (laughs) What in the hell? They literally caught this man right after he stabbed Salman Rushdie. We have it on video. He was caught in the act, and he went into court and pled not guilty. How do you plead not guilty to something we caught you doing? And that kind of insanity, because that's what it is. That kind of insanity, you know, is not just born of a particular day of the week. Um, It's born of a particular kind of delusion that's only born in religion. (laughs) You see, religion can produce some of the most produce rather some of the most delusional people on the planet. And the Muslim community is still mad at Salman Rushdie for, for, for writing a book called Satanic Verses that was published in 1988, 34 years ago. They are still mad about this book and can't let it go. And here's what I say to that. If your God, if your God is can't handle a book being written about him, that's not flattering, then he's a he's a piss poor God. What kind of God can't handle a book? What kind of prophet can't handle a book? But here we go. Religion can be a delusional place where people abide and ferment and do all kinds of crazy things like plead not guilty when we caught you stabbing the man on the stage. And I want to end with this. For those of us who are religious, and I am as well, always make sure that your religion is in conversation with reason. Don't just talk to people who believe what you believe in the way that you believe it. Have people in your life, perhaps, who believe nothing at all so that you can keep your religion honest and safe and from going down the rabbit hole into something crazy. You understand what I'm saying? Because when it's all said and done, you can't just read the Bible, okay? You can't. At the very least, pick up the New York Times. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back. we we'll talk to my sister Pam about her amazing journey from homelessness, from being insecure, to being what she is right now. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So listen, um, I want to talk to my sister Pam. Before I bring her out, um, I, I said introducing her that she doesn't want to go back to a, a life of crime. Not true. <laughs> Talking too fast. What she doesn't want to go back to is the kind of insecurity and the kind of worry that comes along when you're not born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And that's an important distinction, right? Because some people are running from things that they did wrong. And some people are running from, I think a lot of us are, running from a situation where we don't want to relive some of the hardest moments of our life. That's Pam's story. That's where she is. And I I, I think so many of us can relate to that because all of us have a part of our lives where we're not actually proud and we're not actually happy about what we had to go through and what we suffered. And a lot of it wasn't our fault. Her story is worth the trouble of leaning in and listening to. Um, Welcome to the show tonight, my sister Pam. Hey, Pam. Hi. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I cleaned that up because I wanted people to know, you know, that you are, first of all, uh, you're absolutely beautiful, by the way, just so you know, <laughs> you're absolutely beautiful. Uh, and and I, I get a sense of your energy and your spirit. So let me thank you for coming on. OK, thank you for this. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. And I know when I, you, you are a successful businesswoman. You are, you are, you are a, a woman who, who really has become a standard, in, in my opinion, as I've read about you, uh, for what a lot of women ought and should be. Um, and so I'm going to get us there, but I want to begin where your story started be, sort of begins, right? Because I want people to understand that when they look at you tonight in your fullness, in your glory, that you don't look like what you've been through. Come on now. come on pair don't make me throw my shoe (laughs) you don't look like what you've been through so let let, let's start with what you've been through 
And then uh, we'll start at the cross and then we'll get to your crown. So, so, so you grew up homeless and a lot of people don't know what that's like, right? Can, can you just tell people what's it like to grow up under those conditions? Well, first of all, just for a little clarity, um, I grew up moving from home to home. Yes. And then after I became a teenager, I became homeless. Got it. Um, got it. Got it. Thank you for that. Thank you. But, but okay, even better because, you know, not even better, but, but even better for my audience tonight by saying, because when, you, when you're a kid, you don't really understand. But when you're a teenager, you understand what's going on. So as a teenager, how, how did that make you feel that you didn't have this kind of security you deserved? Well, um, of course, it feels horrible. Um, it's something that you hide from all of your friends. Uh, there's people that reach out to me right today and they go, Pam, you are homeless? And, and I'm like, yeah, that, that's what I said. And they're like, but I didn't know. Well, because when I woke up in the morning in a park, I didn't come to your house and say, I slept in a park last night. I knocked on your door and said, I woke up early. Mm. And really, I was trying to find a place to clean up. So you find ways to hide the fact that you're homeless. Um, a lot of people knew that I moved a lot, but they didn't know to what extent I was living outside. Mm. Well, it, it, it's, it's so, it, everything that you're saying makes me, it reiterates to me the notion that you can see someone every day and not know what they're going through. Absolutely. And the thing, um, because I do work in the field of helping individuals that are homeless, People don't understand that there is multiple levels to being homeless. As a child, you couldn't have convinced me that I was on any level of homelessness because every home that I stayed in was a really nice home. Um, but I'd stay this winter with my dad's family, this summer with my mom's family, then back with my dad's family, then back with my mom and someone that she's engaged to be married then back with my dad's family. It, it was a constant movement of places to live. And the clear definition of homeless is a lack of stability. Mm. And so um, I didn't have that. I didn't have housing stability, although there was always a place for me to stay. And again, I thought like that was bad. It felt horrible. I felt like... Um, I didn't understand how to apply rules from one house to another house as mm. I was moving around. Um, in one house, you got in trouble for not fighting. In another house, you got in trouble for fighting. And so um, I had no stability. And by the time I became a teenager, I got pregnant. I had a baby. And then I found myself homeless for, for real. And so I understood that I had reached another level. Mm. Wow. Listen, listen, listen. I, I can't even imagine. I, I got to ask you about this. So you are insecure in terms of your housing and pregnant at the same time? No, <laughs> it's worse than that. Um, by the time my mother found out that I was pregnant, she worked. She worked at General Motors and she works all the time. And so she didn't spend a lot of time with me at home. Um, she didn't know that I was pregnant until she actually dropped me off at school the morning that I went into labor. And when they called her and told her that I had just had a baby, she did not believe it. And um, so. Well, 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 hold on, hold on. How did you hide that? Uh, it wasn't easy. Wasn't easy. Um, I, I, I'll take that. Wasn't easy. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take it that. Crazy, but it's it's actually the truth. Um, I felt like a failure once I realized that I was pregnant. I had sex the first time, um, and the next thing you know, I'm pregnant, and I have no one to really talk to about it. Hmm. I'm afraid because I had just really started living with my mother when I got in the seventh grade. Mm. And uh, prior to that, I spent the summers with her and um, holidays. And so, so I 
didn't want her to feel like I had failed her. Um, mm. It was just, yeah. Yeah, but Pam, Pam, what's what 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 are you feeling right now? Cause I see it in your face. What are you feeling? Um, just thinking of the disappointment that I know she felt because she took it personal as though she had did something wrong. Mm. Um, and everybody else took it personal as though she had did something wrong. Just like when you asked me, how did you hide it? No one understood how she didn't know that I was pregnant. Mm. And so um, it, it led to some really bad feelings. And I know that she was hurt as well, and she still is today. Yeah, and, and, and I, what I saw on your face, and just correct me if I'm wrong, what I saw on your face is you being hurt that she was hurt. I was very hurt. It, it led to me going back to that cycle of living from place to place, mm. but this time it would end with me sleeping in cars, mm. sleeping in a park, sleeping in people's garage. Mm. Um, it led to a whole nother level in which most people identify as being homeless. I went from couch surfing to literally sleeping in places not meant for him. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. I, I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you've been doing a great job of correcting me tonight, so I appreciate you correcting me on parts of the story that I don't get right. Um, but I heard that you had to spend some time in, in jail, but it actually changed your life. It actually, it actually enlightened you about something. Did I get that right? No. <laughs> I can't get nothing right. So what, what, what part of it didn't I get right? Okay. Well, it wasn't jail. It was prison. It was prison. There's a big difference. Yes. There's a big difference. Got it. And um, yeah, jail is usually up to two years. Prison can be for the rest of your life. Okay. Okay. So I, I was in prison for 10 and a half years and prison didn't open my eyes. A conversation with my grandmother that began my healing process changed my life. What was that conversation about? She told me a lot of us have family secrets that we're totally not aware of that family think by keeping them a secret, they help you to feel better. When in actuality, they could explain a lot of the things that you go through mm. that make you feel in love. And um, she told me about something concerning my father that made me feel unloved the entire time I was growing up. Mm. It, something about herself that made me feel unloved because she didn't raise me. And I thought out of everyone around me that she had the most stability. Mm. She was what you would consider upper middle class household. She had property all over the place. She was a really grand lady. And I admired her, but she never asked me to come and live with her no matter what I was going through. So I took it that she didn't have that place in her heart for me, but mm. it was really based on a childhood tragedy that she had been. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's often and always the case, right? That there's the, every, every disappointment has a story, right? Just like every sin has a story. Every disappointment has one, too. Um, I got to take a break. Uh, but when we come back, I want to change gears and sort of introduce people to who you are now, Pam, because you are a business owner. You're married with children. You have a lot of stability. You have a lot of what you didn't have at a certain stage of your life. And I want people to get to know. I want all of you to get to know that side of who she is as well uh, so that you understand that life is a journey, right? It is not It is not a continuum in one direction. It goes up, it goes down. But if you hold on and you keep living, you'll get to the other side. And I want to introduce you to at least part of her other side. And also hear how the first part of her life sometimes intrudes into this part of her life. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to my sister, Pam. Pam. Um, so let, let me ask you this, because... Again, I want, I, want, I want people to be introduced to who you are now, right? 
and to realize that uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is from a certain stage and season of your life. Um, but t- tonight, in this moment, today, uh, you are, you know, you have a family, you have a business, right? Um, how does it feel uh, for you to look at yourself and to see what you've accomplished? How does that feel? To be totally honest, it feels good when I'm sitting and I'm listening to someone else explain who I am. But I don't think about it every day. Mm. I just live and I enjoy my life. And I'm always challenged to do better. Mm. So I guess I'm always believing that there's this, that I need to grow. Yeah, Mm. I'm always believing that you just don't get comfortable. You continue to climb and I look at it like it generally helps everyone around me because I'm constantly able to give to others. Mm. So, so here's the critical question, because, you know, a lot of people watching tonight who've had to make transitions in their lives and changes and grow, right? Um, there's, there's usually a part of what they used to go through, what they used to have to live with that sometime intrudes on what they're doing and who they are now. Is there a part of your used to be that's intruding on your right now? Absolutely. I believe that part of my struggle and the reason that I work so hard to accomplish things is because I never want to see myself um, as a homeless person again. Hmm. And I recognize that it doesn't matter where you come from, how fortunate you are, it could happen to anyone. Hmm. So, so I'm going to push you a little bit. Give me an example of you being sort of afraid of this. Like, how, how does that fear manifest itself? In the past, I didn't realize that I lived with that fear. It's something that I identified with because if I'm working on a new business or if I'm working on a new contract, anything that I'm working on, it can wake me up out of my sleep. And I'll run down the hall to my office and I find myself just pecking away. And then my family is like, what is going on with you? Why do you do that? And so I realized that it is a problem and that it does intrude. Who wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about business or thinking about, I don't care, it could be me purchasing a property, thinking about, did I leave a piece of paper? Did I miss a note? Did I forget to sign something? Hmm. And so if my drive sometimes won't let me rest. Hmm. So you can't, you can't cut your brain off. You're not able to totally relax, totally tune out, totally cut off, you know, all of the work and responsibilities and just be present without any anxiety or anticipation. No, I, I can go to the grocery store and then get back home. I may sit in a car for two hours working on something in my notes section of my phone. And then have to realize that I didn't come in a house. I didn't put the food, you know, together. And that was the whole point of going to the grocery store. So it shows up in different times that I had never really paid attention to. Wow. So what do the people in your life say about this when they notice you sort of being, you know, a little different? It is not light. <laughs> it is not light. And because I didn't see the behavior as a negative thing, who think that they're doing something negative when it's a job or something that you're setting off to accomplish? You don't see it as negative. Mm. And if someone complains about it, you get offended wondering, wait a minute, but I'm doing this for us. And it's like, how could you be upset? Again, I go 
realized that it was a bad behavior until I had a conversation and realized, hey, I do have an issue. Mm. I do have an issue. Yeah, yeah. Listen, the, the inability to be fully present, to be fully here right now, and to not be insecure about what might happen or did happen, right? Um, to not have anxiety or un unrealistic anticipation is what being fully alive means to me. So that, so that the person who is fully alive is engaging in this with whatever they bring to this moment right now. And I'm so glad the people in your life, this is gonna sound really strange, but I'm so glad the people in your life don't let you get away with it. Like they have an opinion about it. I'm glad they don't like it uh, because in a lot of ways you rob yourself of the joys and the privilege of right now. Let me, let me ask you a question because I got to take a break. But let me ask you a question. Um, what do you think your teenage self would say to you tonight knowing that you can't relax, you can't cut it off? What do you think your teenage self would say to your grown self right now? I never thought about that. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't really live in the past in that way. Pam, 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 hold on. I, I know exactly what she would say. Can I answer? <laughs> I know exactly what she would say. And I'm going to say it to you, okay? What your teenage self, okay. what your teenage self would say to you right now is she would say, friend, there's nobody chasing you. She would say, friend, you won. You won. You won. You, you have achieved victory. You came out of what would have killed most people. You came out of what would have destroyed most people. And you came out with a smile on your face and clapping in your hands. She would say to you, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not turning back and falling completely apart. And she would remind you that you don't have to run anymore. You will never be what you were back then. You will never be what you were back then. You've been delivered from that. And the stage of life that you're in, you've earned the right to enjoy it. You've earned the right to enjoy it. You've earned the right to enjoy it. I see what's going on with your face. What's going on? What are you feeling? <laughs> Let it out. Let don't hold it in. Let it out. Let it out. I don't I don't really take a lot of time to think about myself. Mm. So mm. this is a different experience to talk about myself or my feelings mm. or um, my wants. It's easy for me to talk about, oh, I, I want to purchase a new home. That's easy. Mm. But my emotional stability, I'd much rather talk to someone else about their needs yeah. and utilizing my past to help others to find their place. See, see Pam, so, Pam, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you off because because you're doing what I think you normally do is that when it when it starts to get into the heart, you switch it up to the head, and then you and then you pivot away from yourself. And I'm not gonna let you do it <laughs> because this is about you, and this is about your greatness. And I think I think when you sit down with your family, and and you guys have a conversation after this show is over about your greatness. There's something great about you to come through what you've been through. And, and, and you need to let yourself feel that and to feel the victory and the joy and the peace that comes along with knowing. And, and, he, and here, here's where we're gonna have to end. That you, you're winning, Pam. You're winning. You're not losing. You're winning. Because he that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. And I'm proud of you. If you don't hear it enough or hear it at all, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm, we're going to have you back, and it's going to be an entirely emotional conversation. <laughs> it's going to be all emotion, Pam. <laughs> thank you for coming. I don't do emotions as well. <laughs> Listen, thank you for coming on. I'm, I, 
I think you got something out of this. In fact, I know you did. If, if, if nothing else, here's what, I, here's what I know you got. You received permission, and maybe for the first time in a long time, to let yourself feel some of what you've been through and some of what you are now. Yeah, thank you, Pam. Thanks for being on tonight. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure. Listen, everybody, we'll be right back with some Ask Dr. Sean. I'm going to talk about this on a little bit on the other side. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So, you know, you just saw Pam and heard from Pam and, and, and got a chance to listen to some of her journey and her story. Uh, but I hope most importantly, you got a sense of where she is now, not just in terms of the success, right, but emotionally. Because sometimes we struggle and we fight so hard to get to where we are that we don't realize that the struggle and the fight, it's affecting us. It's preventing parts of us from having a chance to speak and to identify themselves the way that they need to. You saw at the end of that conversation that I had with Pam, you know, she was put in a position in a place where she was able to feel a little bit and to realize that she's never had a conversation. She's never had a conversation with the little girl in her, the one that she fought to keep alive. That little girl is still in there. That little girl is still in there thanking her and rooting for her and wishing her victory and more success. I want to invite all of you to make sure that before you go too far in this, that you have a conversation with the kid in you. Because in every king, there is a kid and in every kid, there is a king. And the two of you need to talk every now and then so that you can put where you are in perspective. Don't be so hard on yourself, because when you compare where you are to where you come from, you deserve a standing ovation. Yeah, let's do some match, Dr. Sean. Hiley, you know what to do, man. Play the bumper. Oh, you guys always send me great videos. Yes, you do. I'm always grateful for them. Thank you for the videos that you send in the DMs and the emails. So let's take a look at this video right now. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Lilo. So I collect tennis shoes. I have a full walk-in closet, but it is getting out of hand. So I wanted to know, do you have any tips on how to let go of material things that you are holding on to? Well, great question. I know a lot of people wrestle with this. Um, some very simple tips, right? Um, it's, it's having things, owning things is a wonderful feeling, right? We all have something that we own that we're glad that we have. I know I have things and I'm like, I'm so glad I have this. It was a stage in my life when I didn't have X, Y, and Z. There's nothing wrong with having something. I'm not one of those things that people rather that's against possessions. Here's the thing, though. When you are possessed by your possessions, that's when it becomes a problem. When you can't separate yourself from the thing, and when you, when you create your identity based upon the things that you have, that's when you have a problem. I think the best way to sort of create a healthy distance between what you own and who you are is to strive to take some of what you have and to give it to people who have nothing. If you've got like 10,000 pairs of sneakers, why not take a hundred pair and, you know, or however many pair it is to, to, to the goodwill, to Salvation Army, to whoever it is, so that other people can benefit from your blessings that you've accumulated along the way. I think when you see what you have as blessings to be passed down, to be, to be you know, paid forward or ahead, then you, you create a healthy relationship between ownership and object. The other, here's the other thing, though. When you're trying to make sure that you're not too into what you have, I think you need to remember that what you're ultimately celebrating isn't the thing itself. It's the level of stability and blessings and victory. That's what you want to celebrate, that, that, that you have been blessed enough where you can afford something, you can have something, you can keep something. Kind of where Pam used to be at a place where she was not secure enough to be able to sleep in the same place every night. Yet you are blessed enough to be able to have all this stuff. Connect with the blessing. And what the blessing is, is the security and the feeling of knowing that you are chosen, that you are special, and that God, the universe, love, whatever you want to call it, has smiled on you. That's the thing you want to tap into. Because let me ask you a question in the reverse. If I took your sneakers away, if I took your shoes away, how much of you would leave? If, 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 you, if you lost all of your shoes and all of, all of your possessions, how much of you would leave? And here's what I know for sure. If you took everything that I owned, Sean would still show up. Because none of me was based on what I bought. The one thing you can't take from me 
The one thing you cannot take from me, and if you did take it, it would change me, is my gift. Because I'm gifted. And what, what I want you to understand, my dear sister, is create the emotional relationship with the right thing. And the right thing is the experience of being blessed and chosen and favored enough to have something. But don't put too much into the thing you have. Because if you lose it, you still need to keep the fact that you're blessed. All right. Someone, someone. Oh, I got to take a break. I got to take a break. I got to take a break. I'm, I'm going to read this one first. Stay right there. I'm going to read this one first. And then I'll answer it on the other side. Someone DM me this question. My fiance and I have been engaged for six months. His ex-girlfriend claims... He is the father of her six-year-old daughter. I've never wanted children, and I have no desire to be a stepmother. Should I be honest with him about how I feel about children or just accept that I have to be a stepmother to his child? Hmm. Oh, that's the question. We're going to answer it on the other side of this. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing Ask Dr. Sean. This is one of my favorite parts of the show, and a lot of you love this part of the show. Uh, So let me reread this most interesting question. Uh, that I read on the other side of the break that I want to reread now. So here it is. Uh, My fiancé and I have been engaged for six months. His ex-girlfriend claims that he is the father of their six-year-old, of her six-year-old daughter. I have never wanted children, and I have no desire to be a stepmother. Should I be honest with him about how I feel about children or just accept that I have to be a stepmother to his child? All right. First, thank you for the question. Um... I'm sorry that you are in this position, of course, and uh, it's never easy to have to put up with something or deal with something that you didn't plan for and you don't want. So I first want to offer to you my my apologies. Um, But then I want to say to you, honesty is always the best way to go. You'll never hear me saying that you should lie or that you should dissimulate or suppress or or walk around. not feeling what you feel and not articulating what you feel to the people who need to know it and hear it because it's going to come out anyway. You think you, do you actually think that you can feel a certain way about this situation, suppress it and never say anything. And it never shows up in how you treat him or how you treat the child. It's going to show up. So why not let it show up in a way that's healthy and creative for everybody by first addressing how you feel to him. And let me just say this, Also, by the way, and please don't be offended by this, but you two are engaged to be married and he should probably know how you feel, how you feel about children before you all get married. Right. I would I would wager to think that he probably should have known how you felt about children before you got engaged. So this is a conversation that should have happened apparently a little while ago. And if it did happen, it needs to happen again. It needs to happen again with you being very clear about how you feel about children. Okay, because now you're not the only one that has to make a decision because now he needs to decide if he wants to continue being married to somebody who doesn't want children, don't want to be around him, don't want to be a mom or a stepmom or anything else. That's where you find yourself. And that's not a bad place to be. That's the it's called the truth. And the truth is never a bad place to be. It's just it's just it's just it is what it is. And this is where you are. So let's not load it up with emotional or moral content. Let's just deal with it as it is. You don't want to be a mom, and apparently he likes kids because he's, he's had one with somebody else. You guys need to decide if you can reconcile yourselves with that. And not telling him that is a recipe for disaster. But here's how you tell him. You don't make this about his child. Because he's not going to be able to hear anything after you say something that he takes to be disparaging about his child. In spite of the fact of how he had it. Her. What you need to talk about is your general disposition for children writ large. And why that's the case? Because I'm sure there's a story behind how you feel. Most people don't grow up saying, you know what, I don't never want no kids. I can't stand a little tyrants, a little baby kids. You know what a baby kid is? He's, he's, he's 12, but he knows. Tell the story. I tell people all the time, don't just give people the conclusion. Give them how you got there. And people might line up with you twice as fast. He might understand more if he understands how you got to be where you are on the subject. But here's the part you're going to have to understand yourself. If you want to be married to this man, if this man is as wonderful as you believe and I hope he is to you and for you, you might have to live with something that you can't live down. The child is here. And let me just be very clear. This might make you feel a little good. Being a stepmom Ain't like being a mom, okay? 
this child has a mom, right? This child has a mom and this child has a dad and you'll be a part of that orbit, right? But you won't actually be a mom because the kid has a mom. You'll just be a stepmom. You could think of it as I'm your favorite aunt or, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't load this up with all types of, listen, take a deep breath. Be honest, be consistent and clear, and put this in perspective, okay? Because this is a conversation the two of you need to have. He got some explaining to do about how he had this kid, and you got some explaining to do. Well, both of you got some explaining to do about, about why the other don't know about how you feel about children, okay? Don't y'all get married till you had this kid conversation, because, <laughs> whew. All right. Um, listen, I want to talk about Pam before we go away, all right? Um, because uh, I, I just happen to think that her story is, is an interesting one and it's powerful because I think so many people get to the place in life where we're so addicted to struggling and fighting and working and, and, and trying to be something special that we don't know when to enjoy. We don't know when to stop and to simply enjoy the victory that we've won. I want to invite you tonight not to be so committed to struggling and winning and fighting that you forget how to enjoy what you're fighting and struggling to do. Don't forget to live. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to take some time and feel the soft, secure squeeze of earth between your toes and to know that you've made it and to know that we're proud of you. You are a beautiful creation and you need to enjoy some of that beauty. You feel me? You feel me? I'm praying for Pam and I'm praying for you. And I'm wanting you to have the best life you can possibly have. Show up for yourself, beloved, okay? Be good to each other, people. I'll see you soon, okay? I love you. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were yelling at another car while driving, let me say it again. You need to calm down. Yelling is just making everyone as stressed out as you are and letting them all know that you definitely aren't trying to save with Progressive Snapshot. <clears throat> and if you did hear it the first time because you weren't yelling at another car, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents.